Oh God, as we open up your precious word and work our way through Paul's letter to the church in Rome and to us today, your beloved sons and daughters in this time and in this place, we ask God in the power of your Holy Spirit that you would breathe a fresh word into your word and that we would receive it and go forth from this place changed, that you would draw people to your heart and allow us to, um, to come to you for the first time or to make another step to go deeper for the millionth time. God be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you a brief recap of Romans thus far. First of all, we've learned that we are all sinners, every single one of us. Every human being has been tainted by the fall in the Garden of Eden. And we simply can't save ourselves and restore ourselves to a right relationship with God on our own. But we've also learned that God has brought salvation and righteousness to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Paul has proclaimed this from the very opening chapter of Romans. Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Paul showed us that trying to be good enough, trying to obey the laws and statutes of God did a couple of things. First, the righteousness of God's law served to show us just how far away we are from God and, and how unable we are to keep it. And when it also showed us that when we know the law, our sinful, selfish desires seem to get stirred up and we end up breaking the law of God. All you have to say is don't eat from that tree and that's exactly the tree we want to eat from. But Paul also shows us how we have been set free from being slaves to the law, and now we are bound to Christ Jesus, slaves to Christ, alive in Christ, and Christ alive in us. And then last week, pastors Jonathan and Matt taught us all about life in the Spirit and living by the Spirit. Now, if you have your Bible with you today, either in book or electronic form, I invite you to take it out now and turn with me to chapter 9 because that's where we're going to begin today. We'll be covering chapters 9 through 11. I don't know about you, but when you turned the page, maybe it was Monday morning as you opened up your Bible reading plan to begin the readings for this week, when you turned from chapter 8 to chapter 9 in Romans, Maybe, just maybe, you got the impression that suddenly you were in a different book than you were in chapters 1 through 8. Remember, Paul has been writing to a Gentile Christian audience in Rome. And so up to this point, he has used scripture references from the Hebrew scriptures very, very sparingly in this letter, mostly because his audience would have been unfamiliar with them. I mean, it doesn't make very much sense to use proofs or illustrations with which your audience is unfamiliar, right? But the subject matters in chapters 9, 10, and 11 is Israel. 
the people God descended through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Jewish people, non-Christian Israel, and its future plans of God. And Paul is keen to teach the Gentile Christians in Rome just what is happening in God's plans. And so throughout chapters 9, 10, and 11, you will find a veritable scripture fest with some 45 different quotations or allusions or echoes of the Old Testament. Paul begins chapter 9 with an expression of deep sorrow and grief over his own people, the people of Israel. I mean, his heart is broken for his people who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and have not believed it or even rejected it. Remember, at the very beginning of the spread of the gospel, it was the Jews who first heard, and and many of them did believe and came to faith in Jesus Christ. And when Paul traveled on his missionary journeys, it was always first to the Jews in the local synagogues with whom he would share the gospel, showing how Jesus was the fulfillment of all the promises of the law and the prophets in the Hebrew Scriptures. Many Jews listened to Paul and heard him, and they came to faith in Jesus as their Messiah. But by the time Paul wrote the letter to the Romans in the late 50s AD, that period was mostly over. Paul was preaching to the Gentiles, and the Jewish Christians who had placed their faith in Jesus found that they had less and less in common with their Jewish brethren. And so Paul is grieving that the people of Israel have rejected the Messiah. Paul says that he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. He even says that he would take their place and that he would be cut off from Christ if it meant meant that they could be saved. I mean, he is willing to give up his own salvation if it could mean theirs. But of course, we know Only Jesus saves, and only Jesus can take the punishment, which is rightfully ours. But can't you just tell what a heart Paul has for lost people? And the love he shows here causes me to wrestle with questions like, how much does it break my heart for people who don't know Jesus as Lord? And what am I willing to give up? in order to see someone come to faith in Christ. I mean, if I'm really honest, sometimes I don't even want to look embarrassed if I share Christ with someone and then they say no. And that is such a far, far cry from being willing to give up my own salvation or my time or money or comfort or safety so that someone else can come to know Christ. Every single one of us has received the commission from Jesus to share our faith in him with others and to go and make disciples. It's not just for the Apostle Pauls or even the Billy Grahams of this world. It is for you and it is for me. And so maybe our prayer becomes asking God to break our hearts for people who don't know Jesus yet. Maybe our prayer is for God to show us people we can share Jesus with. Maybe our prayer is for God to nudge us and give us just a little bit of courage to get outside of our comfort zone a little bit until we become more comfortable getting outside of our comfort zones 
a lot. Well, there are two questions that dominate chapters 9 to 11 of Romans. And first is the question of unbelieving Israel. And second is the question of God's faithfulness. Now, these two questions are really intricately connected because the question of God's faithfulness is actually raised by the first question about Israel's unbelief. And Paul will spend these three chapters showing how Israel's unbelief is actually fulfilling the promises that God has made and that God is keeping. All the promises and all the prophecies of God are being fulfilled and will be fulfilled in Christ and in his body of people. Paul never makes the argument that the church has taken the place of Israel, and he never refers to the church as Israel. Paul argues that God is not finished with Israel yet. Paul is refuting arguments and counter-arguments that, success, that suggest that God has replaced the Jewish people with a new Gentile people of God. Paul also doesn't argue that there are two separate methods of salvation, one for the Jews and one for everyone else. Israel's future, as well as everyone's future, depends on Christ Jesus. Now, the Jewish people were very proud of the fact that their lineage descended from Isaac, who, as you remember, was the son of Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and that their lineage did not descend through Ishmael, who was Abraham's firstborn son, actually, but whose mother was Hagar, Sarah's handmaiden. You might remember how Abraham and Sarah got impatient with God, keeping his promise to give them a child, and so they tried to take matters into their own hand by having Ishmael with Hagar. But the promise of God comes through those whom God chooses, In the first generation, it came through Isaac, not Ishmael. And when it came time for Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, to have children, God's promise came through the secondborn of their twin sons, Jacob, and not through the firstborn, Esau. Therefore, Paul writes that it is not natural children who are God's children, but it is the offspring of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. God called for himself a chosen people through Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, and then Jacob, who was later renamed Israel. And all of this was a gift of God's grace to the Jewish people. Remember, Abraham wasn't chosen because he had done anything special to make him any more worthy than anyone else. In fact, we have to remember that it was Abraham's faith and his trust in God, God keeping his promises, which made Abraham righteous in God's eyes. So it's not about where a person is born. It's about a person being born again. That promise comes through faith in Christ and not by works of the law. The Jewish people were chosen by God not so that they could have God as their personal Savior. God chose them so that they could be a light to the nation, revealing to everyone God's love and character to the whole world and thereby draw people to God. Well, the Jews wanted to honor God. They had a worthy goal. But you see, they forgot the lesson of Abraham that righteousness comes through faith. 
And instead, they tried to pursue righteousness and honor God through a rigid and painstakingly difficult, no, not difficult, impossible obedience to the law. Many of them became more dedicated to the law than they were to God. The Jews failed to see that their own scriptures taught that salvation was by faith and not by human effort. Paul puts it this way in Romans 9, 30 to 32. What then shall we say that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith? But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal? Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Here, the stumbling stone referred to is Jesus. And Paul is quoting Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14, and Isaiah 28, verse 16, which convey the idea that God is the one who sent and who set up the stone of stumbling, Jesus, the Messiah. And tragically, the Jews did stumble over Jesus, even though he was going to be both the foundation stone of God's people going forward and the keystone in the arch of God's people holding its Gentile and Jewish members together in unity. People today still stumble over Jesus. Lots of people still want to earn their way to God's love and cannot accept that we are made righteous by faith alone and not by works. Other people see God as a loving pushover, imagining that God will just look the other way when they sin. They fail to understand that God is both loving and just and that justice means there are real consequences for our sin. And still others cannot let go of their own desire for control and cannot humble themselves before Jesus Christ who asks for humility and obedience to his will and not to our own will. But this verse ends with a great promise. Paul says, The one who believes in him, this stone, Jesus, will never be put to shame. In chapter 10, Paul begins to explain how the chosen people of Israel who had rejected their Messiah might yet still be saved. Paul basically says that Israel was ignorant. They neither knew nor submitted to the righteousness of God. Instead, they tried to establish a righteousness of their own. The only thing is they failed in accomplishing it, which is why they still need to be saved, says Paul. Paul emphatically says in chapter 10, verse 4, that Christ had finally brought the culmination of the law. Christ is the fulfillment of everything that the law had been pointing to all along. Paul is saying that God's purposes in the law have reached their goal in the Messiah, and the result is the accessibility and availability of righteousness for everyone who believes. He says, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Verse 
Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. He goes on to say, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Christ is the culmination of the law in two ways. First, Christ is the perfect example of God's desires lived out on earth in a human form, thereby fulfilling both the purpose and the goal of the law. Second, Christ is the culmination of the law because only Christ can do what the law was never, ever able to do, and that is to save us from our sin. Then Paul clearly and concisely tells the Roman Gentile Christians how a person is saved. And this simple statement is just as true today in 2018 as it was in 57 AD. Salvation is as close as our lips and our heart. If we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. It's that simple. Salvation is available to everyone without any preconditions whatsoever. It is available by grace through faith. And so salvation is available to the Jew and the Gentile alike and on the exact same terms. Now, this shouldn't surprise us since God is the God of all people and God receives all people unto himself in the very same way. Romans 10, 11, Paul writes, as scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? You know, sometimes the gospel message can sound pretty exclusive. And on one hand, it is. I mean, after all, Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you might remember in a sermon that Peter gave to the Sanhedrin while being questioned by them for preaching Jesus and healing people in Jesus' name, Peter said this in Acts four twelve: Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Yes, the gospel is exclusive in that Jesus is the one and only way to the Father. And yet, at the exact same time, it is incredibly inclusive and offers everyone the exact same free gift of grace, the Jew and the Gentile, every man, woman, boy, and girl. And every one of us has free will to grab hold of, to grasp onto God's free gift gift and say yes to him. The beauty of the gospel is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But of course, people have to be given the opportunity to hear the gospel message if they are going to have the chance to respond to it and to call on the name of the Lord. And so Paul quotes again one of the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, as he makes his case 
He says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Maybe Paul is laying the groundwork for him to come to Rome and to preach the good news in the very heart of the Gentile empire. Who are you called to share the good news with? How will the people you love in your family or your neighbors ever hear the good news unless you share it with them? You see, God gives us our circles of influence so that we can influence them for good with the gospel of God's good news. So I invite you to think of one person you know with whom you can share the good news of the gospel. And this brings us to chapter 11, the culmination of this section of Romans. In this chapter, Paul will reveal the mystery of why so many Gentiles have come to Christ and embraced him as Lord and Savior, while so many Jews have not. Remember, Paul has not abandoned the Jews. He is one. You see, being a Jew is not just a religion, but it is belonging to a people. Yes, Paul has come to faith in Christ as his Messiah, but he sees this as God working out his plan of salvation through the Jews, just as God has intended to do all along. Paul is proud of his Jewish heritage. He writes, I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. Paul asserts that God has not abandoned his people, the Jews. In fact, many Jews besides Paul have come to faith in Christ. There is still a remnant. Think about it. Jesus' disciples, all the early Christian missionaries, and most of the earliest believers were all Jews. And so Paul asks the question again. Romans 11, 11 to 12. Again I ask, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, Because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? Paul does not believe that the Jews have been left behind, forsaken by God. Paul believes that they will be saved later and that their temporary exclusion is fulfilling the purpose of throwing wide open the door of God's grace to the Gentiles. Paul writes, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, All Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved 
on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. God is working out his plan of salvation for the world through Christ Jesus. No one, not one of us, is beyond salvation because God offers it to everyone. But we have to place our faith and our trust in God through Christ. We have to confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. For now, Israel's unbelief has blessed the entire world because through it, God has opened the door to the Gentiles. But God is faithful to his promises. God never goes back on his word. God will be faithful to the promise made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in the end, Israel will be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. So let us go out into the world and keep sharing the good news that everyone is saved through faith in Christ Jesus alone to the glory of God the Father. Will you pray with me? Oh God, we thank you for your word and for your faithfulness. We thank you for calling a people, Israel, to yourself through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, our fathers in the faith. We thank you, God, that in the fullness of time you sent Jesus to do for us what the law could never do for us, throw wide open the door to split the veil of the temple in two that we could have access to you through faith in your son, our Savior, Jesus. Lord, help us to claim that promise for ourselves as we confess with our lips and believe in our hearts and help us to share the gospel with others to the end that all the world, every Jew, every Gentile, every man, woman, boy, and girl would come to faith in you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's in his powerful name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen.
the Holy Spirit has been working in your heart over these weeks or even in this hour, and you're ready to make a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ or even a recommitment to him to go deeper in your faith, to be obedient in faith to God the Father through Jesus Christ. We've got prayer partners who are going to make their way down right now to pray with you. Or if there's anything else that you have on your heart that you would like to meet in partnership with a sister or brother in Christ, then come forward. Now is the time to, take a, to make yourself available um, to God through prayer. We'd love to pray with you. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with us all forever and ever. Amen.